Welcome to You Heard It Here First, the show that helps you discover the best that Audible has to offer. I'm your host, Imriel Morgan, and I'm back with tons more recommendations from the Audible website. Two of Audible's editors are back in the seat to tell you about their favourite books. Plus, we'll be hearing about some of your recommendations throughout the show too. Just so you know, this episode features a clip that contains sexual references. First, it's time for our featured customer review. And this week, our recommendation comes from Sean. He recommended The Pursuit of Love by Nancy Mitford, narrated by Amelia Fox. A good listen, a better read. Nancy Mitford's tale of the life of Linda, told through the ever-loving eyes of her cousin Fanny, is effortlessly enchanting and often gloriously funny. Each character possesses some mildly eccentric characteristics, perhaps only with the exception of Fanny herself. A modern listener may find certain passages quaint and dated, but the underlying themes are of perpetual interest. It's brilliantly read, so much so that you forget you're listening to an audiobook and are entirely swept up by the story. However, Emilia Fox feels a little younger in terms of her narrative style, and sometimes you are left feeling that she hasn't quite got the sense of one or two phrases or passages. It's a bucket list book, if nothing else. You feel changed by it, which can only be the sign of good writing. Thanks, Sean. And if he's convinced you to give this funny love story a try, you can find The Pursuit of Love on the Audible website or on the app. Next, it's time for our featured new-ish release. And this week, I've chosen a brand new bit of fantasy that I think you'll love called Carnival Row, Tangle in the Dark by Stephanie K. Smith. So, Tangle in the Dark follows the main character, Tourmaline LaRue, who's a fairy from a reasonably well-off background. While she's studying, she gets a new housemate called Vignette, who's also a fairy and happens to be poor and from the provinces, which is outside of the elitist capital. As a result, Tourmaline and her friends look down on Vignette. The story follows the relationship that the two forge in this turbulent world where the worried elites fear a civil uprising that threatens to destroy the provinces, basically Vignette's community and others like it. The story does touch a little bit on the differences between their upbringing, but I did find that this was a little bit light. Beyond Tourmaline's snobby friends and a few brief interactions, you won't learn much about why the disparity exists. There are some same-sex relationships which I thought to be well done and natural. There are intimate moments that feel relatable and genuine. But I should flag here, there are a couple of detailed sex scenes. I personally didn't think it was gratuitous or graphic, but it's worth mentioning. I also really enjoyed the development of these relationships, from the shiny new infatuation to the general fatigue they experience after being together for a while. Okay, so a few things to note. This audiobook is the prequel to the Amazon original Prime video series Carnival Row starring Cara Delevingne. A few reviewers mentioned that the book makes more sense if you've watched the series. I personally haven't seen the show, but I still found it an enjoyable listen. This book falls under fantasy, which is a genre I haven't encountered much outside of young adult fiction, but it's a little bit more mature, which I liked. I think the fantasy element is pretty subtle, so if epic fantasy is your bag, this may be a little underwhelming for you. It's definitely more of a romance fantasy story that features fairies rather than anything else. 
If you are a romance fan, you might fawn over the poetry Tourmaline recites at the start of her love story. Here's a clip, but just to warn you, some of it's of a sexual nature. I dreamt of you last night, naked and shaking in my arms. A fog of sighs on the window, a fire flickering on your skin. I dreamt of our bodies in a tangle, of your hands in my hair, of your nipple hard between my teeth and the bitter taste of your perfume. I dreamt of the one truth I can't speak, of our stolen kiss, of the thing I did not say, and the night that did not follow. I dreamt of your breath in my ear, of the blood thundering in my veins, and the roar of a river falling into space. Still here, I hover. The narration by Carla Crome, who stars in the TV series, is really good. She does a great job of presenting Tourmaline as blunt, direct and strong. And I think her narration is what helped me stay engaged with the story. I'm not sure if this is super helpful, but I don't feel inclined to watch the series after listening to the audiobook. But I'd love to know if you feel differently after listening. So that's Carnival Row, Tangle in the Dark by Stephanie K. Smith, which you can find on Audible. Next up, it's time to hear about the hidden gem I've picked out this week, and I've chosen The Diary of a Hounslow Girl by Amberine Razier. So I didn't really think that one-person monologues would really be my thing, but after listening to Iphigenia and Splot, as recommended by Audible's very own Robin Morgan Bentley, I was thoroughly won over, so I decided to give The Diary of a Hounslow Girl a try, and I am so glad that I did. Like Iphigenia in Splot, this was originally a play that toured the UK, and now it's been captured in audio for your listening pleasure. The main character, Shahida, is a 16-year-old Muslim girl growing up in Hounslow in West London. She's got a lot of attitude and she's a little bit naughty. She swears, smokes weed and talks to boys, and my goodness, is it refreshing. It starts off a little slowly as you get to know Shahida. Listening to her, you immediately get the sense that she is desperate to escape Hounslow and find a life with more meaning. She's not doing well at school and has got a lot of built-up resentment towards her family, especially her mum, and you learn why as the story unfolds. It's written and performed by Ambreen Razier, who does a great job of capturing the voice of a young inner-city London girl. Ambreen says she's always been drawn to writing about characters that aren't normally represented on our stages or screens. She was inspired to write it when her friend pointed out a girl in college who was wearing a hijab along with big hoop earrings and tight clothes. Oh, my days, she said. Look at that Hounslow girl. Ambreen says she just knew she had to put a 16-year-old Hounslow girl at the centre of one of her stories. I think she does a great job. And one of the things that really stuck with me was hearing about the difficult relationship between Shahida and her mum, like in this clip. You know when someone says one thing, but they're always thinking another? That's her. That's my mum. She's about as fun as Andy Murray. And when I ask my sister about why she's so complicated, she says that all humans are complicated. But as well as being complicated, mum's just spent her whole life trying to look complicated because she's been brought up to think that that's an attractive trait to have as a woman. And when she thinks we don't get all the suffering she's going through, she'll hit us with, you will only realise when you become a mother. (sighs) Right. Okay. (sighs) Back on track. I suppose I should start right from the beginning, yeah? Okay. So, I was the second daughter, which meant I had to be better than the first. High ambitions, 
lighter, slimmer and quieter, which I ain't. When my sister was born, she had a full head of curly hair with big brown eyes and my mum's fat friend, Auntie Nusra, glaring over her with her bright yellow teeth. This one will not let you down. The fair ones never let you down. She had rosy cheeks with the longest lashes you'd ever seen. Mum said she looked like a beautiful porcelain dolly. As you can tell, the play is really moving. The characters just feel so real. And you get a great sense of place with it too. I'm not sure if it felt more familiar because I grew up in London, travelling on the same buses full of mischievous teens, so I recognised a lot of the slang. It just worked. Plus, I love the use of music and sound effects to really set the scene. One thing I would like to flag for audio sticklers listening is that the audio in the first hour has a slight buzz or hum as she speaks, and it's a little distracting. But please push through, as it's a brilliant story that's funny, shocking and tragic in the end. Shahida's only 16 and her choices won't always make much sense. She's so blissfully optimistic and naive all at the same time. This wonderlust leads to plenty of jaw-dropping moments too. I recommend this play for anyone who identifies as Muslim, a woman or a teenager and wants to see a version of themselves represented. I'd also recommend it for anyone who's curious about other cultures and ways of life. You'll definitely find it stimulating if you're anything like me and a bit fatigued by the Islamophobic news cycle that's prevailed in recent years. You can find The Diary of a Hounslow Girl by searching for it on the Audible website. And on You Heard It Here First, I'm not the only one who will be recommending you some audio goodness. Joining me every week in the studio will be two editors from Audible to tell me about the books that they've been loving. First up, Alex Curran is back to share another great book. Hi, Alex. Hi, how are you? Good, thanks. How are you? I'm good, thank you. So, if you've been following along, some of Alex's past picks have included The Light We Lost by Jill Santopolo and Gotta Get Through This by Louis Theroux. So if you love those, you might just be into her pick this week. Alex, can you tell us what you've got for us today? So this week is Period Power by Maisie Hill, which is quite different to the last two. I feel like every week I've gone for a very different style of book. Mm -hmm. This is a more factual story about empowering women and talking about the power within their periods. What is the power within the period? Basically, it's running you through everything I wish I kind of learnt in school about the phases of the period. She divides them into spring, summer, autumn and winter. Oh, nice. And the cycle strategy. What's that? So the cycle strategy is about how you feel throughout the month. There's times in the month where you've got a lot more energy, you're a lot more motivated, Mm -hmm. you're a lot more sexual or you're a lot more down and depressed and how to harness those phases of your cycle. Nice. And who's Maisie Hill? How did she get into writing this book? So Maisie Hill is a health practitioner She talks about struggling with period pain for a really long time Mm -hmm. and then she moved into helping other women. And her whole point of writing this book is she said women deserve to know what's going on in their own bodies. So can you tell us what you loved about this book in particular? I think it's really good for women to know why they feel the way they do. I think there's a thing where people don't always understand why they're feeling down or why they're feeling energised and tracking that. Mm -hmm. The way she talks about it, you can get it really accurate to how you're going to feel on certain days of your cycle if you start tracking properly. I think it's really good for your own work ethic to know that, okay, this week I'm going to have loads of energy. I'm going to feel really motivated. So I'm Mm -hmm. going to start working on this big project that I want to work on. And like maybe at the end of the month, I'm going to feel really down and tired. So I'm going to take those few days for myself. Yeah. And that's what I really enjoyed about the book. In the book, Maisie refers to 
everyone with periods as menstruators. Do you know why she does that? I believe she does that to be inclusive. Not everyone who menstruates is a woman. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very progressive to acknowledge that and be aware. Yeah, so people with different gender identities, Mm non-binary, trans men also will menstruate. Cool. So the book is meant to explain why we feel the way we do during our cycle. From feeling on top of the world to those days that you want to curl up under a duvet. What was the most interesting thing that you learned? I think the most interesting thing I learned is more about the effects of taking hormonal birth control. Oh, that's good. Most women know that taking hormonal birth control does affect how you feel. Mm -hmm. And it's not always properly explained either in schools or by doctors. It's your decision, basically, if you choose to take that. But I think you're also, she explains how you are limiting, benefiting from your cycle if you choose to take hormonal birth control. I also think we're taught a lot how to deal with our periods rather Mm -hmm. than embrace them and how to benefit from them. So I think that's been a really interesting insight. What's it like to listen to 12 hours of period chat? (laughs) I think as someone who has periods, I find it interesting. But I also think it would be interesting for people who don't have periods. It is quite a long book and there is a big section at the end on fertility and pregnancy Mm -hmm. which obviously at the moment doesn't directly apply to me so pick a chapter I think you don't have to listen to the section that you don't think you're ready to listen to okay and for anyone who has like sisters or partners or daughters Mm -hmm. like I think it's really interesting to know what they're going through as well okay so there's stuff that you can get out of it even if you're not a menstruator definitely I would really recommend, like, even more than menstruators, non-menstruators should also listen to this. Just to know what females go through, I think it is so interesting, particularly for anyone who is dating a female, to sort of understand their moods and to know it's more than just being like, oh, she's a bit stroppy, she must be on her period. Yeah. Um, To, like, actually, like, understand it and appreciate the hard work that goes into having a period. Were there any questions that you went in to have answered and then they didn't get answered or do you think she pretty much covered everything? I mean, I always just wanted to know the secret to feel amazing all the time and knowing there aren't really solutions, but there are ways to deal with things. Like I wanted to find out like all the solutions to master my period and feel amazing all the time. But um, acknowledging that's not possible, but there are times that you can use it to your advantage. Thanks, Alex. Thanks. Period Power by Maisie Hill was Alex Curran's pick of the week. You can find it on Audible, where you can also find the accompanying podcast, There Will Be Blood, in case you just want a little bit of a taster before you leap into 12 hours of period chat. And now joining me in the studio is Gabe Fleming. Hi, Gabe. Hi, Imriel. So last time you were here, you were giving us the lowdown on The Rabbit Girls by Anne Ellery. Now you've got something a little bit different. Got something completely different this week. So this is a Audible original podcast and it's about Putin. Um, Who's the, Putin? Putin, sorry. It's about Vladimir, <laughs> Vladimir, to give him his full name, Vladimir Vladimirovich Putin. True story. Wow. It's about how he came to power and how he keeps power. And really, it's about the nature of power. I mean, the man is... uh, It's almost impressive how um, obsessed with power he is. I mean, if we're to take, you know, everything that the journalist says at face value, Mm. he has no ideology. Yeah. Which is quite remarkable for someone who's been in power for 20 years. He's not a liberal, he's not a communist, he's not a socialist, he's not a conservative or anything in between. He's just a keeper of power for himself. And it's really remarkable. So he came to power as a slightly awkward 
um, civil servant, yeah. lifelong career KGB. Yeah. And a lot of his political, you know, workings and his modus operandi comes from the fact that he was in the KGB for decades first. And for anyone that doesn't know, the KGB are like Russian gangsters? They are Russian secret police. Right. So without going like too much into it, there was a time after the fall of the... Berlin Wall, the kind of the, the end of communism, there was a real free for all in Russia. They had capitalism for the first time. It was pretty much lawless because the main party lost power yeah. and there was a real power vacuum. So people were just rushing in and, you know, gangsters and nightclub owners and car salesmen yeah. were just taking business. So he sort of rose from that kind of era and he was put in place. He was a pawn, really. He was put in place by oligarchs and power yeah. brokers who wanted a kind of yes man in the Kremlin. But he soon turned the table on them once yeah. he was in power and he shafted one by one each and every one of the people that had helped him get where he was because he felt they were a threat. Yeah, an incredible listen. Yeah. Really um, scary. He sounds like <laughs> a terrifying man. If you watch him on the news, there's something very cold and scary about him. Did you get the sense of that in the podcast as you, well. You absolutely did. Cold and scary is right. And what's interesting is that he had, you know, really smart people around him who, in the past 20 years, made him less cold and scary and more warm, but is a complete, <laughs> you know, artificial construct. They talk just in passing about how he was built. Yeah. He was chosen because he was a fairly grey man with no real, you know, no real air of controversy about him. So they had to make him more interesting. They had to make him electable. Yeah. He, there's some hilarious, not, not hilarious is the wrong word, but some disastrous set pieces quite early on in his career. Yeah. Um, the Kursk submarine disaster was one of them. So they're trapped off the Norwegian coast and there's 122, I think, Russian soldiers on board this submarine. They can't rescue them. He's turning down offers of foreign help. You know, they basically call him back. He's on holiday in this resort yeah, in, in Sochi. Sochi. Yeah, yeah. And he's on holiday. His PR people are like, "You have to come." Like this, the optics are terrible. You know, in yeah. like political speak, and you know, you're literally on a sun lounger while these people might die in the yeah. coming days and weeks. So he comes and he does his thing. And there was apparently this photo that they captured where there's this grieving. It was a mother or a wife. Yeah. Of one of the people on board. Did you listen to that? I it did listen to that. Absolutely shocking. And I think, like, she, it looks like they sedate her in they, the they end because she's her. hysterical and he botches yeah. it. <laughs> so he's arrived to show his compassion. You know, yeah. it's like the Russian people are crying. You have to cry too. That was their advice to him. Yeah. So he tries to be this, like, emotional guy. And this woman gets hysterical yeah. and he can't handle it. So he just makes a signal and someone comes up behind her and injects her neck. I mean, this is, is real. Is that actually wild? So she, so she passes out because that's not on brand for the Putin brand and his whole drive for compassion. So, you know, Misha Glenny, the journalist, yeah. is laughing and you're sort of laughing going, God, that's horrible. But he had this inbuilt, I guess, KGB-esque mentality that everything was secret, like protect the message. Yeah. Don't let the public see anything that we haven't controlled and designed exactly how we want it. And everyone was like, what the hell is going on? But he survived it. All right, so it is from a Western perspective almost entirely, but Misha Glennie has been kind of doing this for a really long time. Did you find that you trusted him and his perspective? I definitely trust him completely and his integrity and his genuine 
passion for the subject. Mm-hmm. It sounds a bit paranoid to say this, you know, he's reporting on a machine, but then he is also very much part of a liberal Western media machine. It's reporting from the Russian perspective that we know from any yeah. New York Times or Guardian or Telegraph article that you read. It takes this kind of suspicious, arm's length view of Russia and all yeah. their activities for really bloody good reasons. Yeah. And, you know, they're doing some really bad stuff, you know, in terms of cyber warfare and information control. I know that, and I know how we view them. I never hear it from the other side. Right, okay. And I think if I did hear it from the other side, I would probably disagree with it, but I would at least feel from a journalistic perspective that I've got the whole picture. Thanks, Gabe. Thank you. Putin, Prisoner of Power by Misha Glennie was Gabe's pick of the week. If you're enjoying this podcast, please do subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes. If you're loving it, leave us a rating and review. Now, back to the show. If you haven't realised by now, we're really showing you all that Audible has to offer. And this next segment is no exception. Audible Sessions is another podcast from the Audible team where they bring in some of your favourite authors to talk about their new releases and exciting new projects. This week, it's a clip from Jay Rayner's interview. Jay Rayner is a journalist, restaurant critic, radio presenter and jazz musician. He chatted to Holly Newson about his new book, My Last Supper, food that's disappointed him, music and being a performer. And so with these foods that you chose for your last supper, are there ones where you can distinctly remember your first memory of eating them? Like oysters and snails, they're quite, oh, yeah. you know, out there foods. Well, they are if you're a 10-year-old when you try them for the first time. Were you 10? <laughs> well, with the oysters, I think I was 10. I mean, that's I locate the memory as a 10-year-old at a particular restaurant in London called Rules, which is still there, and which will turn up in the light. So there'll be a live show attached to this book, and I've shot some of it there. Uh, that was with my mother. Snails, I'm not sure where I first tried them. Again, I attached that to a restaurant called a Stone's Chop House, which is just off Leicester Square. It's gone now. I remember those things very, very vividly. I always said I was terrible as a child at the things that most small boys should be able to do, climbing trees, skimming stones, playing football, last person chosen for, you know, football teams, of course. But you put me at a table, I could leapfrog my peers while all the rest of, you know, the eight, seven, eight-year-olds would run screaming from the snails and the frog's legs and the char-grilled liver. I was face down in it. And, you know, there was not a single food I would not eat. And it was kind of an item of faith with my family. You could not say you did not like something unless you tried it. And was there a point where you realised you could recognise, oh, these are good snails from these are badly done snails? Uh, Well, sometimes people sort of fetishise that element of my title, which is, you know, restaurant critic... A lot of the time, you can tell what's good or bad just by staring at a dish. One of my other jobs, I'm a critic on MasterChef, the TV show, and most of the time, the plate lands in front of you, you can look at it and you can see what's wrong with it. You can see whether it's any good. So when I went for snails in Paris and the shells turned up dry and with almost no garlic butter around them, I didn't need to eat them to know that they were a travesty of escargot and, a, frankly, an offence against the entirety of French culture. This is not meant as an insult against all the good and interesting people of France, just the bad and boring ones. Fair enough, yeah. fair enough. I think it's fair to say that Jay Rayner is a little bit intense. I don't know if I like him or hate him after listening to that, but I was certainly entertained by him. I also can relate very much to having parents that forced me to eat things and told me that I can't say I don't like things unless I tried them. So at least we have that in common. It's really very funny, so you should definitely check this one out. You can find more about Jay's Audible session and his book, My Last Supper, on the Audible website. 
And now it's time to take a trip to our genre corner. You've heard lots of great recommendations from us, but now it's time to hear what you've got to say. Each week, we ask you to send in a voice note telling us about your favourite audiobook, podcast or audio drama available on Audible. From thrillers to memoirs, we want to know what it is you can't get enough of. This week, we've got a horror recommendation and it comes from Claire. Here's what she had to say. My name is Claire and this is my review of the Undead series by R.R. Hayward. Um, I won't be spoiling anything by telling you that this is a book about a zombie apocalypse. Weren't really sure if it was going to be for me at first, but after about the first 10 minutes, I was hooked. It's incredibly well written and narrated. The plot keeps you on the edge of your seat. I'm just about to start book 20 and I'm just as gripped as I was sort of halfway through book one. But the best thing about the series of the characters. R.R. Hayward has this way of writing characters that you just love, even the bad guys. If you're looking for something that's scary, a little bit gruesome, funny and loving all at once, this is definitely the series for you. Thanks, Claire. I'm beyond impressed that you followed it all the way to book 20. If this zombie fantasy is up your street, you can check out Claire's recommendation of The Undead by R.R. Hayward on Audible. Remember, this is your opportunity to share your favourite audiobook on You Heard It Here First. Record a voice note on your phone telling us about an audiobook you love and you might get a chance to hear your voice here. Send your recommendations to yhihf at audible.co.uk. That's the first letters of You Heard It Here First. But remember, keep this a spoiler-free zone. In case you missed it, here's a list of the brilliant audio we've recommended today. Get your pens or your notes app ready now. The Pursuit of Love by Nancy Mitford. Carnival Row, Tangle in the Dark by Stephanie K. Smith. The Diary of a Hounslow Girl by Ambreen Razier. Period Power by Maisie Hill. Putin, Prisoner of Power by Misha Glennie. We heard from Jay Rayner about his book, My Last Supper. And our genre corner this week was the Undead series by R.R. Hayward. You've been listening to You Heard It Here First, an Audible original produced by Content is Queen, presented by me, Imriel Morgan, and featuring Alex Curran and Gabe Fleming. It was produced by Ellie Clifford. Original music was by Seth Bradford. For Audible, the executive producer was Holly Newson. The production executive was Hayley Nathan. And the commissioning editor was Kent DePinto. Pinto.